0: Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. That's right, you know what time it is, you know where you are. This is Tyler Chef, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys podcast. And this week, boys and girls, we're gonna talk about the art of the deal. And I'm not talking about the book that Donald Trump wrote. I'm talking about a real deal, something that just happened recently that some of you know about. Some of you that have been paying attention follow me on Facebook know that I had an eight unit apartment building listed and um, a couple months back we, we listed that property for I, I, some of you know maybe all of you know i'm a licensed real estate agent as well in florida i primarily focus on investor related properties for cash flow what that means is buy and hold properties that type of thing and from time to time i do rescue those flippers that get themselves in trouble and they over improve a property and i will go ahead and remarket those things as well but that is one of the functions that i do is i represent both buyers and sellers in the tampa bay market so a little shameless plug like right there If you're looking to take things to the next level, if you want to buy property and you're qualified to buy and how you do that is you get on my calendar, cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler and see if you're qualified, if we can get you qualified to buy. We can do all kinds of different strategies, but I've got agents that work for me. I supervise the team of agents that work for me, helping me help you get better deals done faster, making it happen, taking things to the next level. Getting some of that cash flow in your pocket. But no, guys, I'm not going to do the whole, just find me a great deal somewhere in Florida. That's not how it works. We're going to have to have a chat, a chit chat, a little talky talk, and find out what it is, is you're, why you're investing. Let's get your investor identity down and see if we can match something to your style, what makes sense for you, what works for you. Because we're not one of those uh, teams that just send you a bunch of spam and useless junk mail, hoping to God that you'll buy something that we send you. I mean, that's just, it drives me crazy when people do that. And I don't want to be that guy. So with that step with that said I'm going to tell you a little story and the story is about this eight unit apartment building that I listed and I want to kind of start from the beginning and this was a situation to where it's a lady that I met at one of my cash flow events so we'll start out with a little marketing tip and I know you guys love these marketing tips even though some of you are rolling your eyes going Tyler I don't want to learn marketing bandit signs are working great for me I like giving tens of thousands of dollars to uh, Weva how or yellow yellow letters and bandit sign companies. Okay, so this is a strategy that one of the many different tentacles that I have out there, and I don't have a better way to say it. The better ways that I use to do my marketing things that go on behind the scenes that I don't have to put a whole lot of thought into. Okay, I have been doing cash flow 101 games for the local public here in the in the Tampa Bay area in Florida for many years, about five years now. I've been doing that five or six years. And it's something that my wife and I really enjoy doing. We like teaching people different types of creative strategies and different ways they can kind of think outside the box to put deals together. Been doing that for several years, developed quite a a following. And at one point, actually, we used to have a hundred people come to those events, which is kind of crazy. It grew so big that I I couldn't find a venue that I could get for free, big enough to hold enough people. So we had to start scaling it back. That was a little challenging. and But we had to start scaling it back because we just couldn't fit people in the free venues anymore. We outgrew the free venues. And then lo and behold, Advanta IRA, which is one of our local IRA administrators, they reached out to me and said, hey, Tyler, if you're looking for a venue, we just put together a new training center. We'd love to offer you opportunity to come to the training center, which was great. It's a nice little facility. It's over there in Largo, Florida. And I'm now invited in-house to do the event there at their facilities, which led to doing webinars and other things and helping Advanta clients take their game to the next level, right? Just like I do with you guys on cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler, those of you that pick me up, pick up the phone and give me a call and we walk you through different strategies to help you get unstuck. Do the same thing with people that have self-directed IRAs. I teach them how to, how they can get their money moving, teach them how to, to vet who they're dealing with, who they're investing with, all kinds of different things. Anyway, so at one of my local events there at Advanta, I, this lady stood up and said, uh, you know, we introduced ourselves for like the 10 second, introduce yourself type of thing. And she stood up and said, my name is such and such. And I've got an apartment building I want to sell. And I stood up. I happened to be there that night because since Jill and I've been traveling the country, we were out of town for several months, but this happened before we went out of town. She stands up and says, I've got an apartment building I want to sell. And I stood up when it was my turn and said, I want to buy your apartment building. It's that simple because here's the thing. I want to buy every apartment building I can get my hands on. That's a fact. So If it's in my area, which we're in Florida, that made sense for me, I'm at least going to check it out because if I'm not going to buy it myself, maybe I won't buy it myself for whatever reason, maybe I don't like the color, maybe I don't like the location, maybe I don't like the income, whatever it may be, I'm going to at least vet the deal to see if it makes sense, okay? I want to make sure it makes sense based on my criteria, my parameters, and if it doesn't, well, I'll just sell it. For I'll put on my realtor hat and sell it. So those of you that are listening here that are realtors should take heed of this. I ask myself every single time I get a lead in, I ask myself for our property or an asset, I think to myself, how can I keep this? How can I make this work for us? So I will look at it real quick and decide whether or not it works for me. If this will work for our, our identity, we want it to be in our portfolio. And if it doesn't, we'll just list the property. Speaking of which, a little side note, several of you have reached out, thank you, and said that you wanted to start sponsorship program, your realtors in different parts of the country, and you wanna be get referrals from us and whatnot. And you reached out and I replied back to every one of you with okay, book a book an appointment to get on my calendar, let's have a conversation. And I gotta say, I got a lot of people that reached out, but not one of you booked an appointment. What's up with that, guys? If you want me to refer you, you're gonna have to return my calls, you're gonna have to follow through. I can't give you referrals if, well, you suck at what you're doing. So those of you that really want to follow through and get referral, buyer and seller referrals from me. We're going to have to have a chat on the phone and I got to make sure that you kind of have your act together. And that all starts with you following through. So if you can't follow through, guess what? No referral for you. That's not, that's how it works. I mean, that's just reality. I hate to say that, but guys, I don't put my name and recommend people that are terrible at what they do. So if you're an agent that is not stellar at follow-up, don't call. Because I'm not going to represent you, or I'm not going to refer you, and I'm actually going on a limb to even think about doing this in the first place because of exactly this. So, folks, those of you who are are listening and are not realtors are probably going, "Yeah, get him, Tyler." Yeah. Well, I got news for you too. I be- I guarantee you, you probably suck at follow up too. <laughs> so, you know, don't 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 throw glass house. Don't don't throw rocks if you live in a glass house is what I'm saying. I digress. Getting back to the story, well. The lady stood up and said she wanted to sell. I stood up and said I wanted to buy. And after the meeting, we had a chit-chat. And she had said that she, I said, what are you asking for it? And she says, well, my realtor told me I could get 450,000. I said, are you listed on the market? And she says, no. I said, 450,000 for an eight unit apartment building. That seems a little light. I said, well, how about you just, wouldn't she want to sell it for more money? And she kind of looked at me. I said, well, let's have a chat. Let's get on the phone and uh, have a chat in a week or so and see if we can sort this out. So we did. And I scheduled a time to go meet with her and go look at the property. And it was a great little property. It's on the water, a little apartment building, eight units with the ability to build out nine. So I looked at this from a buyer's perspective, because that's the first thing I'm asking myself, how can I keep this, right? When I showed up at that property, that's what I was thinking. How can I keep this? Does this work for us? Brought my wife with me. She's also an agent. We were walking the property. And we decided that because of the fact that it was in Hudson in this little city that we're not necessarily excited about, that it didn't work for us however man was this thing a cash cow i mean even though it didn't work for us it was still a great opportunity and i started looking at the numbers and i figured to myself well realistically this thing with a little bit of elbow grease in here and there could probably bring 850 900,000 if the income was upped a little bit some of the deferred maintenance was taken care of and things that were there when she bought it she only had it for a year it could probably work somewhere between i don't know 850 and, and 950 would be maybe like an, an after repair value so for those of you that are wholesalers so that said i'm like okay let's leave some meat on the bone and i had a good frank conversation with her let's leave some meat on the bone so whoever buys it's going to need to obviously if they buy it for 900 then they go put you know 50 to hundred thousand into it they're going to be right at market value so let's let them win a little bit And your agent told you it was 450 your agent is smoking crack it's worth a lot more than 450 how about we try it at 750 which is admittedly at the top of the bar for that property. But why not? Let's try it because, hey, I know people that are paying $650,000 for a fourplex. Well, actually, I know a guy that paid $650 for a triplex, not on the water, not in a great neighborhood. Yes, he paid cash. Oh, you wholesalers salivating over the cash buyer. Yes, the guy paid cash, which is why he got fleeced, which is why I tell investors, stop paying cash. Now, granted all, all sellers think they want a cash buyer and that's all fine and dandy but hear me out let's talk about the seller's pain for a second shall we the seller was selling the property because well I'll be honest with you she absolutely hated the multifamily thing she had a property manager that was okay but let's not say ex- exceptional by any means and she got mixed up with some tenants that were a little sketchy she did get those tenants out and replace them with better tenants however it kind of still leaves a mark and in some cases you could say a stain on the brain, right? Dealing with that type of situation there. Now she could go out and get better management or maybe change tenants across the board and this, that, and the other. But sometimes when you have somebody that you just get tired of dealing with stuff and that's actually absolutely what she was tired of dealing with. And she started doing some land deals out of state and she really enjoyed the whole land thing. And she's only been an investor for a couple of years. And what she's figured out is that there's all kinds of cool stuff to maybe potentially participate in. And before she dove in, she dove in a little bit. She's more of a fire-ready aim person. Before she dove in headfirst, she kind of had a little bit of buyer's remorse, mainly because of the asset class. I mean, she thought building was fine and didn't really give her any problems, but she was just sick and tired of dealing with the tenants. It wasn't in her ideal avatar. So that said, she also wanted something a little bit more passive. She didn't want to be as hands-on. She just quit her job a couple of years ago. And she's done some flips and she's done a little bit of this, done a little bit of that, bought some notes, done different things. And she's basically trying to find her, her space where she fits in the investing community. No problem. Market's hot. Might as well, if you're going to get rid of the property, might as well get it while the getting good. So that said, this realtor tells her that she can, that she needs to sell it for about four fifty uh because that's all it's worth. Now, full disclosure, this realtor is not a commercial realtor. They don't really understand multifamily real estate, at least in my opinion, because clearly either, they couldn't have understood multifamily at 450 so the challenges that we had with this property around right the gate was it had a foundation settlement issue that has actually been going on since the 1980s um where the seawall because it's on the water it's on the ocean the seawall the water had you know going in and out from the raising and lowering of the tide had drawn some of the sand from underneath the foundation creating a little bit of a void when that happens guys and you got that weight of the building pressing down on it it caused the slab to crack And some of the walls, the stair step crack. Well, when I first saw that, I was like, oh boy, that's ugly. But we want to do the right thing. We want to be ethical. We want to disclose that up front to everybody. So they know what they're getting into. That said, we didn't like say, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. We got to dump this thing, whatever. I told the seller, I said, well, the best thing she could do is to number one, go out and get some estimates. Well, she was ahead of me in that game. She had already got some estimates. So she had three or she had, I'm sorry, two repair estimates. And she later got a third repair estimate on the repairs. Now that side, that said, those repairs didn't really do a good job of explaining exactly what would be done, nor did they say in writing that it was structurally sound, right? Which if we're ever going to bring a bank in to to deal with this thing, remember banks loan people to loan money to people that don't need it. So they're looking for a reason not to loan sometimes and they're scared of everything, including their own shadow. That said, uh, with that big crack, that's kind of scary. So we hired a, we had her, the seller, hire a structural engineer to go out there and take a good look at the property, spend an afternoon out there, measuring, photographing, testing, poking, prodding, that type of thing. And they did a full uh, engineering analysis and structural analysis of it to make sure that in fact, it was not unsafe. It d- does need to be repaired obviously, but it's not unsafe. It's been like that for a long time. They corroborated that, okay? So long story short, we were able to get through that. We got through that by having proper documentation. And I encourage every buyer, that we felt was qualified we made darn sure to make sure they got copies of all those foundation reports and re- settlement uh, repairs and all that because guys when you're doing deals i don't care whether you're a realtor you're a wholesaler or you're just a flipper selling a property make sure you don't surprise people make sure that you are ethical and disclose defects in a property okay if you're a flipper and you're not you're going to be cheap and you're not going to replace a roof and you know the roof is leaking well, guess what? Home inspection, you're going to get busted and you're not going to get your deal done. And I'm going to laugh at you and go, ha ha, because you're being a bottom feeder and that's not cool. But when you do good things and you take good care of people and you disclose things up front, people will overlook them if they're not a big deal to them. That said, we did admittedly lose a lot of buyers because of that structural issue. They did not feel comfortable with that. And I totally get it. I'm not going to sit there and tell them that Everything's hunky and rosy. I'm certainly not going to hide it. We had to disclose it. It is the law. And frankly, I don't care if it's a law or not. It's just the right thing to do. That said, a lot of folks, that doesn't bother them. So we we were able to overcome this challenge by being upfront, but taking the extra step to get a structural engineer out there to assess the situation, determine the cause, and then recommend a solution. And that made the buyers that were serious about it much more relaxed, okay? And we had repair estimates that were with about $10,000, $15,000 It was a thirty to $40,000 repair, depending on who you ask, but we were able to get a decent repair estimates in there. And so I didn't have to guess. And wholesalers, if you're listening to this, don't get into quoting repairs. Unless you're a licensed contractor and willing to do the work at that price, do not go out there estimating repairs. Number one, every rehabber is going to make fun of you because your numbers are always going to be off. I guarantee it. Even if your numbers were accurate, they're still going to think they're off just because they know you're a wholesaler and don't know what you're doing when it comes to repairs. okay? So don't waste your time even having something for them to debate over. Have a third party, give an estimate, walk through the property and give an estimate. But at the end of the day, that's really the buyer's job if you're a wholesaler. I don't want to digress off of that too much, but I did. I went out and got the repair estimates from legitimate companies that do this. I shouldn't say I, the seller, got went and got these estimates. That said, um, one of the other challenges, of course, was its location. The city is not the greatest in the world. It's not like it's you know, Bel Air Beach or some fancy place. It's not, you know, some gorgeous mansion like community. It's a little, the community itself is a little run down. It's kind of got some fringes of poverty out in the area. This place was in great shape and it was good. The houses up and down the street around it are nice, but you know, you got to kind of drive through a little bit of poo poo to get there. And it is what it is. Everybody, and this is another thing, I was marketing this as a long term rental with the ability to turn into a short term rental. Now I'm here to tell you everybody I talked to wanted to dialogue about whether or not short-term rentals were legal in that area. First of all, I'm, I'm glad that you're, that you're verifying before trusting. I I get it. But here's the thing. You gotta actually pick up the phone and call somebody who regulates this type of stuff. I had to call, I called the county, talked to the zoning and planning division, talked to code enforcement. There are no prohibitions to short-term rental in that area affecting that property. None whatsoever. real estate agents for whatever reason had this crazy idea that there was and even i've talked to him i said guy what where who specifically did you talk to crickets nothing what specific statute are you referring to where is this law or regulation or mandate anywhere documented in history for this area they don't have anything they're just guessing which means you didn't get to sell the property which means you missed out on a massive commission. That's okay, I sold it myself. I got to keep it all, haha. Ha. Well, my team did, one of my agents found the buyer and we kept it ourselves so you didn't get anything because you guys are spending too much time guessing instead of asking good questions. Like if you would've called me and asked me, hey, what's the deal with short-term rental? I would've been able to tell you, there is no problem with short-term rental. I've called the city, I've called the county, in this case, just the county because there is no city for that. Uh, city government, but I've called everybody needs to be called. Here are the numbers I called and here are the people I've talked to. Please call and verify yourself. That's how you handle that kind of stuff. You overcome it. But there's a few agents that just didn't want to hear it. They were looking for a reason not to make a commission. Well, they found one. So they went on selling their crappy pieces of property that are paying them 2% commission. Meanwhile, they missed out on a massive commission opportunity. That's okay though. We kept it. I'm good with that. Another challenge was, is that the seller had a $350,000 first position mortgage. And the challenge was, is that it was there, which means that somebody, for someone to come in and wholesalers hold up, I know you can do it subject to yada, 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 but that wasn't the case here because the seller being smart took my advice and hired a real estate attorney to represent her when it came to this loan. This was a hard money loan that had a ten and a half percent interest rate. Some of you are going, lordy. Well, first of all, before you go Lordy, do the math. 10.5%, yes, it appears high, but on a short-term scenario, frankly, I don't think I would have done the deal. I wouldn't have loaned money out at only 10.5% for a year. This was a very short-term loan, and that way, the, that's 10.5%, so the investor can make a make a buck. But even though this was a commercial loan, she had to personally guarantee the loan, and she had a Due on sale clause that was very restrictive and i've read more than i could count usually they're pretty boilerplate but they actually went and added additional language to this due on sale clause it was crazy i had the attorney look at it and he's like wow they want to make sure that she does not sell this subject to so that said it was not in her best interest based on the conversations that she had between her and her attorney to sell it subject to unless it was a last resort and we had lots of deliberation lots of deliberation lots of deliberation uh, on that topic and the the decision that she made that we're going to do it, try to do it a different way. And so what that meant is that I called, I just picked up the phone rigging digging, called the lender and said, Hey, Mr. Lender, is this loan assumable? And at first it was like, no, but then it was like, well, maybe if I find a buyer that's got skin in the game, that's willing to sign on to assuming this loan, why wouldn't you do it? I mean, maybe they got, we, you could check their credit. Of course they have to qualify. You can do whatever you want. Is it an option? Just tell me if it's an option the guy says, yes. And then after the seller talked to him, he said, absolutely, yes. Seller put a little bit of pressure on him. And then uh, we were able to work it out to where it could be assumed. So from a, from my perspective, being the one selling the house or the, not the house, but the apartment building, I just made it easier to buy because now the loan is assumable. So what I need is someone to come in with enough cash to make up the difference or enough cash to give the seller a warm fuzzy that the buyer's got the skin in the game. And this is why I tell you guys: forget about wholesaling, because you're trying to focus on building piles of cash. Nobody cares about your piles of cash, because here's here's a deal where this exactly makes sense and exactly proves my point. The seller could care less, really, about the cash they have. When it came down to offering them seller financing, more importantly, the seller being savvy because she's she's done several deals, even though she's relatively new. She's still savvy. She's smart. She's not 18 years old. She knows what she's doing. She's a grown-up. And she comes from corporate America, and she understands she's a uh, a, uh, project engineer. So she's really good about crossing her T's and dotting her I's and the details. And what she wanted is some additional collateral. So we were able to negotiate with the buyer to put a lien against two of the the guy's other apartment buildings to protect her. Now, she has a lien against the building that that she's selling. uh, And she also has an additional mortgage recorded against two of the guy's other apartment buildings. So we got more than $100,000 additional collateral plus plus 100 grand down. Well, that additional collateral, which was the key to put that deal together, would never have happened had she not, or had the guy not had other properties. And you're thinking, well, that's great, Tyler, but I don't have any properties. This is why I tell you, go get something that makes sense in your portfolio now. Don't wait until you're gonna wholesale for four years and then you're gonna buy and hold. That's a bunch of garbage. We all know that's never going to happen because that doesn't, that's not how that works. 99.9% of people wholesale until they run themselves out of business. And then they go back to the job they originally had. The other 1% might get lucky and use some of their money and they just prolong the death and eventually wind up dying. Anyway, at the end of the day, guys, if you can go ahead and start taking down deals now, why wouldn't you I have all the resources out there for you to be able to do it. You just got to pull the trigger and make it happen. Okay. You want to raise money to do deals? Well, I just put together the private money crash course. You guys can get that, take it, apply it. I've already had some great feedback. A dude in Hawaii just was watching it and loved it. And is putting it into play right away. Enough on that. The bottom line is because the buyer had some assets, even though the assets weren't as great and as valuable as the asset he was trying to buy, they still became collateral. So think about that when you're putting a deal together, what else do you have besides cash that you're willing to lose? If you decide to be a dirt bag and not pay your bills because the guy was willing to offer that those extra buildings, those two buildings that had mortgages on them. Okay. they had first mortgages. We came in and recorded second mortgages against those that will be removed when the bill is paid to the seller. It's a three-year balloon. And those will be removed when the seller gets paid in full. So, he was willing to park those mortgages there as collateral. And how's that work? Well, in the event, the buyer flakes out and doesn't pay his bills, the seller would then have to foreclose. Problem is there's a first first position mortgage already there. That's in front of her that gets priority over her. So the way we structured this is that in the event that there was non-payment on that note, on that second mortgage, she would have the right to foreclose on the, on the buyer. And then she, of course, would have to make continue making the payments on the first mortgage if that was going to be the case. So if she wanted to successfully foreclose, she may has to make that first mortgage holder whole. She can't just ignore that they exist. In addition to that, she also gets to uh, foreclose on the other two properties, the other apartment buildings, as additional collateral. The same thing applies. There's a mortgage on both of those that she would have to deal with. The difference is, it's going to put this guy in a whole world of hurt if he decides to be a dirt bag. And because he's not a dirtbag, because he's a good guy and he's got good collateral, he in good faith can put that up there to give the seller that warm fuzzy because that if screams from the rooftops that I'm a good guy and I fully intend on paying my bills. So how can you guys do that? Well, you got to take down one deal. I don't care if you got a little sliver lot somewhere in the city that's worth five grand something's better than nothing. You could say, well, I bought this little lot over in wherever, and I can use that. Larry Harbolt talks about that in his uh, Never Step Into a Bank program, sliver lots. They use them as trading stock. I, I can give you, uh, I've got, give you lean against this free and clear lot that I've got. And what it's worth really depends on what's going on there. So if it gets in the inner city somewhere, it can be worth a hundred grand. Who cares if we paid 500 bucks for it? If they're going to put a hotel on it, I'm here to tell you, it's worth a lot more than the 500 bucks you paid for it. What it comes down to is what does the other party value that land? So if it's me and I know that it's downtown prime area, even though it's got, I don't know, garbage on it and a fence around it. For me, I, the first thing I think of is parking. If it's in downtown Chicago, it's worth a mint? Because parking is at a premium. And if you put some dude in a lawn chair out next to that place and a gate, guess what you have? you got a cash flowing asset is what you have. So even though you paid 500 bucks for this little rinky ding lot, if you could fit 20 cars on it, depending on where it is, it's not a rinky-dink lot. It's a cash flow instrument. So guys, think about the way, and that's kind of what I want to leave you with today. Think about the things that you could acquire that you can use later in your investing career as collateral. That's what we've done. We've got properties. We've got little lots. we got apartment buildings. we got this. we got that. And the reason why we have these things is so as we negotiate, I've got a place to park liens. I've had free and clear apartment buildings that we paid off, took care of our investors. We had no debt on them. And I wasn't in a position to put debt on yet. So in the meantime, I would put a lien against them to give a seller collateral for a different deal. It's called substitution of collateral. I will substitute other properties for the collateral and put deals together. Guys, it's about asking questions, getting to the pain and thinking outside the box. What else do you have? And if the answer is nothing, let's get you focused on having something. Heck, I don't even care if it's an RV or a camper.